Good day, everybody. Good to be here with you. Um, yeah, my name's Peter. That's uh, Peter, if you're American. Not Peter, that's Eng English, but Peter, like Peter Bread. Um, and yeah, it's great to, great to be here. I'm from Australia, uh, but I've lived over here for a long time. And I met my wife, who's from San Diego, and met her in California. This is can you show? There's a I gave you a photo of both of us here. Uh, if we can put that up, uh, maybe maybe not. Anyway, so and then Blaine and Joan, we uh, yeah, we've been married 40 years, and uh, she just renewed my contract for another year. So it's great. Um, actually, when we f were first married, I, uh, I, I read in the Bible that Sarah called Abraham my Lord. And I, I said uh, to Linda, you know, if you ever wanted to refer to me as my Lord, it would be fine with me. And she, she never did it until the other day. She did it for the first time. I, I did something stupid and she said, my Lord, Peter, what were you thinking? <laughs> so she did do it. But we... We have known these guys for uh, 36 years, and they came as young people to our ministry. We were still in Los Angeles then, before we moved to Denver. And if you're single, you may not realize that YOM stands for Yes, We Arrange Marriages. <laughs> and so, Joan and Blaine met in YOM. Anyway, it's great being here with you, Otis and Stacy. So... I have a message I want to share with you. Uh, it's the kind of the backdrop is a story of something that took place. It's a true story. I wish it wasn't. Uh, when we moved to Denver to, to start a new ministry with a little team of five people, we began to grow. Uh, then 25 years in, we had a tragedy that took place. A former student uh, came in, he was angry at God, he, he had been there with us five years before, but he had turned away from God, he'd become bitter at the church and God and us, and uh, he pulled out a nine millimeter pistol and shot 15 rounds, uh, shooting four of our staff, uh, two of them died that night. Uh, a young man, Phil Krauss from Alaska, and Tiffany Johnson, who was over our hospitality from Minnesota. Uh, both of them died. Uh, he went to reload, and the, this door that is on the side of our building just shut and locked him out. It was after hours, and he, he couldn't get back in. And then uh, he fled, uh, went to a church the next day, committed the same type of thing, shot 15 people. and and then was confronted by a security guard who shot him and killed him. How can things like this happen in a Christian ministry? And even more importantly, why would God allow it to happen? Those are not easy questions. And uh, as I've traveled around the world, I've found that this is the main question people have when they encounter tragedy. Uh, if God was just, they reason, bad things would only happen to bad people. Uh, others ask the question, if, 
If God is love, as the Bible claims that he is love, why is there so much suffering in the world he created? And so what happened to us set me on a pathway to, uh, to ask God the hard questions. You know, God is not offended when we ask him honest but hard questions, right? He said, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so it led me to write this book when the shooting stopped. Originally, the plan was to, to write about the shooting and just some of the amazing things actually, actually that God did. But you know how it is with the Holy Spirit. He has a different agenda sometimes. And he said, no, that's great. But I want you just to use this as the backdrop. And I want you to look at all different types of suffering and where I am in the midst of that uh, from a biblical looking at it through the lens of Scripture. And uh, to me, if it's not in the Bible, it doesn't mean it's not important at all. But, but anything that really is import, most important things, God has made reference to in His Word. And so it's bathed in Scripture. Uh, it took me two years. I've got a bibliography of about 100 books. And that, you know, but I look at 10 sources of suffering and where God is in the midst of that. And today I want to talk to you about one of them because of its relevance to the time in which we're living in this nation. I'm not from America originally, but there's something special in, about this nation and what God has put in this nation. And there is a battle for the soul of America right now. And uh, I'm not talking politically here right now. I'm talking about a spiritual battle. So uh, the title of my message is The Battle Behind the Battle. We're going to look at about 20-something scriptures. So if you have a Bible handy, great. If you don't have a Bible, it's just scoot over next to a Christian and read along. <laughs> and um, we're going to go for it uh, from, from one thing to the next without using the clutch here today, okay? Very quickly. But uh, Lord, I just pray that the that this would be your words, the oracle of God, and especially for individuals here that uh, right now maybe have been asking you about certain things. Speak to them, I pray in Jesus' name. Okay, the battle behind the battle. It's my personal conviction that the things we see with these eyes are not the full picture. Uh, there is something else going on. The reality is, that we see is not the real reality, if you want to put it that way. There's another reality that the Bible puts forth. And it is one of a cosmic war that is taking place in the heavenly realms all around us. Uh, it's a battle for the souls and minds of men, women, and children. It's a battle for cities. It's a battle for nations. It's a battle for this nation right now and ultimately it's a battle for the right to rule this planet the scriptures tell us in ephesians 6:12 we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age that word age is the word eon in greek it's a season of time do you know there are times when Evil things are done that empower the, the enemy. Uh, 
think of, you know, I never celebrated Halloween as a kid. We didn't have that in Australia. But coming to this nation, I notice about the time of Halloween, there's an increase, not only in witchcraft, but in demonic activity. And it's tangible, right? Have you, have you felt that? Okay, that's the word, eon. The, 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 there are seasons of times that come as a wave. Now, revival and outpouring of God's spirit comes like a wave that's much greater. But the enemy sometimes gets a foothold through evil things that are done. And, and he goes on to say, and again, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's not a physical battle, which has led some people to question if it's real. Or at least to minimize its importance. Uh, but the scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians 10.4, but the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. That's the word sarkikos in Greek, which means earthly or physical. They're not earthly or physical weapons, but they are powerful in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds are real. They're not weak holds, okay? They're called strongholds, and the, the, the strong man that refers to Satan, he, he is real. Now, just, just I, I want to I say this as a caveat, that, that God is much greater, okay? Much, much greater. Satan is a finite created being, and God is the creator of the entire universe. There's no comparison. But, but let's expose the enemy today. Paul says, I was not... I was not naive to the devil's devices. And so we need to be clued in to some of the things that he's doing. And he is at work in this nation. And I want to tell you, I believe the reason is that this nation, you might not realize it if you haven't traveled, but this nation is a leader. Okay? And when a leader falls, there's a domino effect that, that affects many others. It happens with an individual leader. That There's a great and awesome responsibility for leaders and teachers because there's a greater judgment. But, but if a leader falls, it impacts the lives of many others. And when a nation falls that's a leader nation, it has an impact on many other nations. That's what's at stake here. Okay, If you don't realize that, at this God has invested something in this nation that is very special. Um, so let's talk about the battle. Let's go back in history so we can get perspective. Uh, I'm a context type person. I like to have context. How many of you are context people? Okay. I mean, I sometimes have been accused of going to an extreme in giving context. Uh, you know, you ask me the time and I give you the history of the watch. Uh, well, I won't do that today, but, but I want to give some context to why this battle exists and where it started. Okay, so let's go back as far as we can. We're going to have to piece together some, some different portions of Scripture. So, let's start with God. He created everything. God created everything that exists. I think some of it he created, he is still creating. So as men invent bigger telescopes, he just creates a little bit more universe. Uh, you know, I think he, he created the earth possibly already old. You know, because people go, well, if the Bible's true, then the Bible chronology says we've only been around for 6,000 years. The Bible clearly is older than that. Well, God could have created it old. I mean, he created Adam as a fully grown man, right? I mean, how old was Adam when he was one day old? He wasn't a baby. He was already a fully grown man, right? In the prime of life, somewhere in his 50s. Uh, I meant, I meant 20s. Um, 
Jesus' first miracle in Cana of Galilee, he, he changed the water into what? To wine. Okay? But wine takes time to become wine. But in one second, it was already, he created already old. Okay? So, oh, I've got, I got to tell you a little joke here. Okay? So, um, don't roll your eyes, honey. Okay? I saw that. Um, <laughs> so, this priest is driving along the road and he gets pulled over by the highway patrol and the officer comes up to the window and he says, Father, uh, I think I can smell alcohol. Oh, no, no. Um, no, officer. And, and he says, well, what do you have in that container there? Oh, just water. Let, let, me, let me have a hold of that, please. And so the, the priest gives him the container and the, the officer pours it out and it's red wine. And he looks at the priest and the priest goes, praise God. Praise Jesus. He did it again. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, okay. So um, how old was the wine that Jesus, it was, it was already wine, right? And so he created, God created everything uh, in the beginning and his creation is divided into two parts. So Colossians 1.16 tells us this. Uh, by him, all things were created in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible. So things we can see, like planets and stars and people and mountains. Well, not many mountains here in Florida. Uh, and oceans and trees. Okay, but then there's a whole other aspect to God's creation, which is invisible. We can't see it. The spirit realm. And then the Apostle Paul goes on to talk about four categories of spirits that probably are different in their nature, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. And here's the important thing for us to realize. These were not bad guys to begin with because it says they were created through who? And, and for what reason? For him. Okay, so they were created through him and for him. They weren't bad guys. But then things went sideways because... Angels, like us, have free will. And so one of these spiritual beings, his name was Shining One. You might not recognize that name, but that name translated into Latin is Lucifer. Okay, Shining One. He was a bright morning star that God created who wasn't evil to begin with, I don't believe. As far as we know, this was, he was the first one to create an evil act in the history of of the universe, and he became deceived in his own pride and beauty. There are two passages we find in the Old Testament that sometimes are overlooked because of a case of mistaken identity. One of, his, one of them is Ezekiel 28, the other Isaiah 14. In both of these cases, the prophet begins prophesying against an earthly king and then has the realization, wait a minute, that's not the king of Tyre in the case of Ezekiel or the king of Babylon in the case of Isaiah. That's Satan who is, who is either impersonating the king or actually possessing the king. Uh, uh, and, and the prophecy changes. So in Ezekiel 28 then, he, he goes on to say, but you were in the Garden of Eden. Well, the king of Tyre wasn't in the Garden of Eden. And he goes on to talk about this being who was 
perfect in many ways and had musical instruments built into his body. And he goes on to talk about him as being a cherub and a covering cherub and beautiful. But then he goes on, if you keep reading Ezekiel 28, he became violent and proud. Uh, And this was his big error is that he thought... He could be equal with God. Isaiah 14, similar prophecy over the king of Babylon. And and Satan says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. What was he thinking? How on earth could he think that he could be like God? He's a created finite being. Uh, But pride is a great deceiver. And those who engage in it, begin to believe that they're greater than they really are. I think he actually thought he could overthrow God's reign. Uh, But of course, he couldn't. Uh, And so, but what he did is he recruited a third of the angels. How many have heard that a third of the angels went with him? Okay, it's taken from Revelation 12.4. Revelation 12.4 talks about him in one of his disguises as a dragon, He has many disguises. He comes as a serpent. He comes as a prince of this world. I think the scariest of all his disguises is he comes as an angel of light, we're told. So he pretends to be trustworthy and honest and pure when Jesus said he's been a murderer from the beginning. But, But here, he comes as a dragon. In Revelation 12, a lot of Revelation relates to the future, but this, scholars believe, was a flashback to something, a recollection of something that had taken place many years before. And so this is what it says. Revelation 12, verse 7. Stars in the Bible are often used figuratively for angels. So his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. And then war broke out in heaven. I mean, I mean, think about what this actually is talking about. I mean, isn't that amazing? I mean, this was the first Star Wars. Uh, I... <laughs> I have a friend who wrote a book uh, about Jesus, and, and he said, I dedicate, and about the stars, he says, I dedicate this book to, to George Lucas, creator of Star Wars, and Gene Roddenberry, creator of Star, War, uh, Star Trek, and to Jesus Christ, creator of the stars. <laughs> Puts things in perspective. But here, here, Lord, if you've got this taped, I'd like to see it one day, sitting back there with Blaine and Otis and some others. But war broke out in heaven. This isn't the last battle because the last battle is Jesus coming back on a white horse, defeating Satan once and for all. Okay, but this this was another, this was one of his lieutenants called Michael fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought, but they were cast out of heaven to the earth. Jesus, recalling this event, said in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall from the sky like lightning. So he ends up on the earth. His goal, and this happened before Adam and Eve in the garden, um, his goal is world domination. That's what he wants. He wants to take back that which belongs to God. He got an advantage when Adam and Eve sinned. He got his foot in the door. I mean, I don't believe this was plan A personally. Uh, think about what God did with Adam and Eve. He, he stacked the deck for them. 
right? He only gave them one bad option. In forests of trees, they could have eaten from any tree and it would have been fine, but they chose the one forbidden tree. But why did God even put the forbidden tree? Well, they needed to have a choice, I think, because love relationships always must have a choice. And so then it needed to exist, not because God wanted them to eat from it. But when they ate from it, when they believed the serpent, they ate from that tree. And then Satan got a foothold in the human race. And it impacted every future generation who was yet to be born on earth. It's the reason our bodies die. Ultimately, it's the reason the planet is dying. Now, fortunately, it's going to come under new management one day, okay? And God's going to create a new heaven, a new earth. We're going to get new bodies, okay? Perfect in every way with, with hair in all the right places <laughs> and, uh, and no fat cells or acne or cancer. I mean, this, we're going to get new bodies, praise God. I can't wait to see how amazing you guys will look. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but for now, we're living with the consequences of sin that has impacted the creation and us. But one of the big things it did is that it empowered the devil. Look at this scripture in Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River near Jericho. Immediately, he's taken into the wilderness. And guess who shows up? Satan comes to try and trip him up and he takes him onto a high mountain. And every time that that he lies, Jesus comes back, right, and refutes that lie. Right? With the logos. Jesus says that is not true because it is written, and he he refutes what Satan said. In the middle of this, Satan takes him on a high mountain, Luke 4, verse 5, and shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. It must have been in a vision because he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. But then he made this outrageous statement. He said, uh, all of this I'll give to you, Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me. And then he said this, because this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. You're, wait, you're waiting for Jesus to go, you're a liar, Satan. This does not belong to you. Jesus did not refute that statement. Who, who gave the kingdoms of the world to him? We did. Okay, with our sin, starting with Adam and Eve. But we have given him a place of authority. Now, just again, let me say that greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world. 1 John 4.4. 4. Let's not forget this, okay? God is infinite. Satan is finite. The word infinite, what does it mean? It means unlimited. Infinite means non-finite. Something finite means something limited. God is infinite in three main ways, in his knowledge, in his power, and his presence. If we go to the book of Job, the first chapter of Job, we see that Satan is not these things. He's finite. He's a created being. In Job 1.7, uh, we see that he's not omnipresent. God said, where have you come from? From walking throughout the earth. He's not everywhere at once. Verse 8, have you considered my servant Job? Well, he hadn't. He doesn't know everything. And then verse 10, 
he said to God, but I can't touch him because you've put a hedge of protection around him. He's not all-powerful. Satan is not infinite. He's a finite created being. But he's still very powerful. But greater is the one, 1 John 4, 4, who is in you than the one who's in the world. Well, that's the reality. And, you know, I noticed some of you got your Bibles there, and I don't want to ruin it for you, but I went to the end, and we win. Okay? So, so uh, we win. Jesus wins, okay? But for some reason, his battle plan is the strangest thing because he wants to use us. The ones who actually are responsible for the fall, he is going to use us to bring the victory. Uh, what a crazy strategy, but that's his strategy. And, and let me say before we get to this, because I want to talk about the weapons that he's given to us before we end. But Satan is empowered where people give him authority. And you know what's interesting? It happens. He mobilizes his forces according to groupings of people and a map of the world. Demography and geography. People, races, people groups, and geography. Have you noticed revival is geographical too? Uh, we call it by those names, the Azusa Street Revival, the Welsh Revival. The Welsh Revival broke out in the north and south of Wales on the same day in 1906. Who was orchestrating that? Okay, And, and this, they call it the fire zone, and it would reach out to sea, and ships would come in up to 30 miles out to sea. You can read about it. And, and, and all the sailors would fall on their knees and cry out to God and repent of their sins and then arrive at port rejoicing. Okay, ship after ship after ship. I mean, revival happens geographically, but the powers of darkness are mobilized that way too. I want, I want you to look at the scripture. So the greatest act of deliverance in the New Testament, well, the second greatest was Mary Magdalene. Seven demons came out of her. The greatest, this guy had at least 2,000 demons, okay? And Jesus is crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and a storm comes up. I think it was probably demonically inspired because Jesus rebuked it. And if the word, the word he said was fimu, which is the same word used to cast out a demon, okay? And uh, then Satan didn't want him getting to the other side of, of the Sea of Galilee. He gets over there. Uh, this demon-possessed man comes down from the burial tombs in Gadara. And Jesus said, what's your name? And he said, although in the Greek it says, it said, legion, for we are many. And then the next thing they asked Jesus, the demons spoke to Jesus and they said this, Mark 5 verse 10, they begged him to not send them out of that country. The word there is Korah, which means land or territory or geographical location. I asked myself, why? Why did they not want to be sent out of that area? Might I suggest, probably the people in that village who then lost the 2,000 pigs had been engaged in certain activities that gave the enemy a foothold and authority in that area. Why else would they not want to be sent out of that area? See, it's geographical. And sometimes it's zeroed in in villages and families and sometimes whole cities and nations. We need like the Welsh revival that covered the whole nation of Wales in the early 1900s. We need that here in this nation, right? And we've seen it before. We need it again. We desperately need it again because this nation is the epicenter right now because, like I said, there's a domino effect that if this nation falls, other things are going to happen. So 
Okay, God, what's your strategy? Here we are. We're your servants. We want to be used by you. What can we do? Well, first of all, uh, let's question why God would use us. I mean, look around the room. God, what were you thinking? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> look up here. God, what were you thinking? Uh, God's strategy is to use the church. Why not angels? We were made lower than the angels. They're more powerful than us. Hebrews 2.7 tells us we were made lower than the angels. Why not use them, Lord? And, and there are many of them. There are at least 100 million angels. We can't see them. Some of the time we can because we've entertained them without realizing it. The Bible tells us. Okay, so they take on human form sometimes. But the majority of them we can't see. And there are at least 100 million because the scriptures tell us the number of the angels is 10,000 times 10,000. That's 100 million. Okay? All around us right now. Why not them? They encamp around those who fear God. Every one of you has a guardian angel because Psalm 34 7 says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Okay? They're there to fight alongside of you, to minister to you, but also to protect you. I'm involved in a project right now. I've had the privilege of doing this. If you're a guy, this is a free podcast every day of the year. It's called 365christianmen.com, okay? And we tell one story, just five minutes you can listen to in your car of great men of God from thousands of years ago right up to today who have done incredible things. So 365 Christian Men, it, it is amazing. And I've had the privilege with about six or seven other guys to do some of the recordings and let me tell you one of them. This, this one of the guys is called uh, John G. Patton. He was a pastor, felt led of the Lord to go to Vanuatu. Back then, it was called the New Hebrides. Went with his wife. There were cannibals living on that island. God wouldn't send any missionaries to cannibals, would he? Well, they had killed many of the other missionaries who'd come. They were one-way missionaries. They'd pack their belongings in a coffin because they knew when they came back to England or Germany or wherever, they'd probably come back in a coffin. And John Patton and his wife went. They didn't kill him. But then something happened. And one night, these warriors surrounded their missionary house uh, with torches ready to burn it down. And John Patton and his wife prayed, and they prayed till midnight and one in the morning and two, three. Finally, about 5.36 in the morning, it started to get light, and all of the warriors left. About a year later, the chief came to Christ. And remembering what had happened, uh, Pastor Patton asked him, what kept you from burning our house down? And the chief said, well, who were those men you had with you there? And Pastor Patton said, we didn't have any men with us. It was just my wife and me. No, no, there were large men in armor with drawn swords standing around the whole perimeter of your house. And we couldn't get there. Oh, you see, this, this is the reality of what's going on. The, the dominant materialistic world out there doesn't see it that way because all they're looking at is what they can touch and see. Okay, but there's another reality. God created things visible but invisible, and this cosmic war is going on for lives. Okay, people you've been praying for. I want to tell you, you've been praying for unsaved loved ones. How many have unsaved loved ones you've been praying for? Okay, 
How many have some unloved saved ones you've been praying for? Okay. Uh, pray for them too. <laughs> okay. But, but keep on praying. Don't give up. Uh, God wants to crush Satan under your feet. In Romans 16, 20, the point is clear. And God, the God of peace, will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. It's not going to be any big deal for him to do it one day. But why has he chosen to use us? I don't know. I don't know why. I just know that he tells us to go into all the world. He tells us to pray because our actions make a difference. He's chosen the church to take the point, to be at the forefront with angels assisting us. But it's us. He calls us to make a difference. So, okay, how are we going to do that? Well, let me give you three of the weapons that he's given to us, okay, because we don't have time for any more, but I've just listed three of them. One of them is spiritual night vision goggles, okay? It's called discernment in the Bible. Okay, discernment is the ability to see. A prophet in the Old Testament was originally called what? A seer, okay? Because he or she could see things. God wants to give some of you in particular, that gift. Some of you have had it, but it's, it's unrefined, and he wants to refine that because you can see things, and, and you can see evil things too, and, and that's, don't think of yourself personally. God has given you this gift so you can warn, so you can prepare others. It's a gift from God, okay? Here's an example. 2 Kings chapter 6, the prophet Elisha is sitting back, chilling out, doing whatever prophets did back then. And his servant goes outside of the, of the house and sees the enemy army coming. And he runs back in and grabs Elisha and says, quickly, come outside. And Elisha sees them, but he sees the angels of the Lord. Okay, put that scripture up. So it's, uh, it's 2 Kings 6, starting at verse 15. And, and then he says, what shall we do? And Elisha doesn't tell him, don't worry. He puts his hand on his servant boy and he says, Lord, open the eyes of the boy. And suddenly scales fall from his eyes and he can see what the prophet was seeing. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. Whew, that's what's going on. Who is going to see this that's going on? And this needs to be coupled with prayer. Okay, so the second weapon, being able to see how we need to pray, what we need to pray for. And then we need to pray right. without giving up. Okay, because it's easy to give up. Luke 18, 1, Jesus said that he wanted men to pray because women, it's a lot easier for you to pray, but men were just a little bit slower than you. And God says, don't give up because we want results right away. But don't lose heart because sometimes your prayers are fueling the angelic hosts and doing things in the spiritual realm that you can't see. Here's an example of this. Daniel chapter 10. The children of Israel have been taken captive to the greatest empire of that day called the Neo-Babylonian Empire. And Daniel, recognizing the prophecy that they would be there 70 years, began to pray. When he began to pray in this scripture, can we put that up? Daniel chapter 10. Uh, he's praying and nothing's happening. And he prays for a week, nothing. Two weeks, how many of you have prayed and it doesn't seem like anything's happening? I, I know I have. Don't lose heart. Okay? 20 days on the 21st day, Gabriel arrives on the scene. 
out of breath. Gabriel the archangel, <sighs> some blood on his forehead, angel blood. I might have made that part up. But, um, and, but this is what he said. He said, Daniel, God wants you to know the first day you started praying that he heard you and he sent me. Now, doesn't that seem logical? God sends an archangel. This thing's going to be over right away. Well, it still took three weeks. And it wasn't Lucifer. It wasn't Satan. It was one of his lieutenants called the Prince of Persia, who was the responsible uh, ruling spirit over Persia. And Michael, another archangel, had to come and help him. And they defeated the Prince of Persia. Now, this is what happened in the natural. This we read about in the spiritual realm. When you put history on top of it, you know what happened? The greatest empire of that day was overthrown within two years of that event. What a coincidence. It wasn't a coincidence. It was a godsidence, okay? It was, it was that Babylon was now no longer under the control of the prince of Persia, okay? And the will of God began to take place. And the new king came in and said, uh, who are these slaves? Uh, well, they were the slaves of the former king. Well, let them go home. And that was the end of their diaspora. But God used this spiritual battle to predicate that. Wow. So prayer. Discernment. Spiritual night vision goggles. Prayer. Persistent prayer. And the last thing is repentance. I don't know what the future holds. Well, I have some idea of some things I read. But I know what can impact the future. And that is repentance. How the heck, are we allowed to say heck here? Okay, okay. Uh, how the heck are we going to get the whole nation, 335 million people, to repent? We don't have to because it's not about them. It's about the church. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, God says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and... I'll heal their land. We need God's healing, not just of, well, of the plague. Look, look at the previous verse. What was he going to do to bring healing to their land? Well, when there was drought and locusts and, wait a minute, a plague, okay? It related directly to that. Sometimes these things happen and God says, but if the church, if my people will turn, then I will heal their land. So this is powerful stuff. Sometimes God calls us to repent on it for ourselves, but also to repent on behalf of others. We call it identificational repentance. It doesn't mean that those people are absolved of their sin, but by acknowledging we have sinned. Haven't you seen that in Scripture? Nehemiah did it. Daniel, right before that event, he confessed his own sin and the sins of his fathers and his ancestors. And sometimes there's a place to say, God, forgive us. And God then moves on our behalf. And I want to invite you today, uh, if you would pray with me in closing, before I hand this back to Otis, a lot of people are kneeling for different reasons. <laughs> this is the real reason we should kneel. And if you're able to physically, if you don't have a medical condition, could we just get on our knees or on one knee and just say, Lord, Lord, we, we've sinned against you. We've turned from you. And the truth is, we deserve your judgment. But God... We see that there were times in your word where you looked for an intercessor who would stand in the gap.
And when Moses stood in the gap and said, God, take my life instead. And you didn't bring the judgment upon the people they deserved. God, remember the first time you described yourself to a human being was to Moses. And you described your character. When he said, show me your glory, you said that you were merciful and gracious and faithful and good and just. And God, we cry out to you, have mercy on our land. Lord, pour out your spirit, Lord. Bring revival again. Bring spiritual awakening that would, that would burst forth from the four walls of the church and cover cities and nations and cover this nation. God, we don't deserve it. But your mercy is that we don't get what we deserve. And so we pray, Lord, for your grace and mercy to be poured out as intercessors we come before you today and pray for this. And we believe you. We trust you that you've got another card to deal in the history of America. Lord, deal it. A trump card there. Oh, I sorry. I didn't mean, actually mean that in that implication. But Lord, just deal that where it, this, this is actually uh, won. This battle is won uh, that people would would come to you and know you, we pray in Jesus' name.